Welcome to some more great Bible preaching from the pulpit of Capital City Baptist Church in the heart of Austin, Texas. Our prayer is that your relationship with Christ is strengthened and that you are blessed by the time you spend in the Word of God with us today. Samuel chapter 1, we'll start with verse 8. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest? Now, let me just say, man, that's not a good question to ask a woman. That's a great time just to give them a hug. Don't ask questions. They probably don't know why. If they do, you probably don't want to know why. So that's when a hug is very appropriate. Why eatest thou not? That's a time to celebrate, not to ask questions. <laughs> Why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better thee than ten sons? Don't ask that question because you really don't want to know the answer. So Hannah rose up after they'd eaten in Shiloh and after they'd drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man child, then I'll give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. That's a good portion of scripture to highlight in your Bibles. And as parents, that ought to be your thought your philosophy, I will give my children, if I have four or five or eight or ten, however many God has given me, I will give them to him all the days of their lives. And there shall no razor come upon his head. Now go down to verse 26, because God answers her prayer, gives her a son, and she keeps her promise. Verse 26, and she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Let me reintroduce you to the chapter, to the story that we're talking about. Hannah was barren. For years, she'd gone up to the temple and prayed. She was grieved, the Bible says, or calls it bitterness of soul. She was bitter in her soul. She wept sore, and she prayed, God, please give me a son. She reached a point where she said, okay, Lord, now I don't believe it's a good idea to make deals with God, but in this case, she did. She said, God, I want to make a deal. If you give me a child, this child will be yours all the days of his life. And I believe this, we're in a generation that no longer considers children a heritage of the Lord. But when you have children, those children are a gift of God. If you have children, I think you understand that. And I think you ought to have as many gifts as possible. Amen? I thank God for the three gifts that he's given me. I thank God for the godly wife and for the direction we're headed. And I thank God that she's instilled in them a lot of Bible, a lot of Bible principle. And my desire is just like Hannah's. I want my three children uh, to be used of God. 
They've been loaned to God. I actually feel like they've been loaned to me. They were God's from the very start, from the very beginning. And I want those three not just to be Christians, not just to be churchgoers, not just to be active in the ministry, but I want those three kids to be some of the finest members and servants of God, no matter where he places them or what church they attend. Uh, I don't expect them to simply fill a church pew uh, on Sundays and Wednesdays and occasionally help in the ministry if they've been given the opportunity and the privilege of being raised in a Christian home and going to a Christian school and having the opportunity of a Christian environment and the investment that's being made by so many people on so many different levels, I expect them to be upper echelon Christians. And I would be highly disappointed with them marrying an average Christian, living the average Christian life I want something more, and I hope you do too. These kids don't have an average life. They don't have average privileges. They have additional privileges that most kids don't enjoy. An environment that most kids never get to experience, so we do expect something more, something above and beyond. But in this case, here's what Hannah said. If you give me a child, God, I want you to know I'm going to give him to you all the days from birth until death. Now, let me ask you this as a parent. Is that even your prayer? Is that your desire? Have you ever said those words? Have you ever, let's take it a step further. Have you ever begged to God and pleaded God? God, I want you to use my child in your first prayer. And your top priority ought to be this, the salvation of that child. Because if they never get saved, then you have a disaster from the start. You're dealing with a human nature. You're dealing with a human flesh. You cannot overcome that simply with principle or good teaching. You need the Holy Spirit indwelling their lives. So from an early age, you need to be praying. And here's what she said. Your prayers ought to revolve around the salvation of that child. I love to hear mothers. And when a mother prays, there's nothing she prays or shows more uh, urgency or fervor or passion than for the prayer of the salvation of her children. And look what Hannah says in verse 26. It says that she stood there praying unto the Lord. And then verse 27, she makes this comment, for this child I pray. Now, not just for the birth of this child, for the conception of this child, but for the soul of this child, the life of this child, the future, the career, and the destiny of this child, I pray. You know what every child needs? A praying mother. And don't ever stop praying for that child. Don't ever give up hope. And we talk about praying for the soul of that child. Maybe you got saved later in life. And maybe your children are already grown. Maybe they're already out in a world lost Without Christ, they don't understand the gospel. They don't understand the crucifixion or the resurrection. That doesn't mean you have to give up hope. That doesn't mean you have to say, you know what? They have no understanding. They may never be saved. I would not live a single day without praying and begging God for their soul. Amen. I can't imagine as a mother the thought of knowing my child is not saved. My child is not born again. My child, if he or she were to die today, 
would go straight to a Christless eternity, to a devil's hell. That's not what God wants, and that should not be your desire either. And I would send letters, and I would make phone calls, and you say, Preacher, should I be a pest? If that's your child, I would be persistent. Now, if you want to call that being a pest or label that however you want to label it, I would be extremely persistent in seeking the salvation of that soul. That is your child. Amen. I remember all three of my children made professions of faith when they were very young. But it, over time, we understood, we began to realize that Ashley wasn't saved. That was a heavy burden that we carried for several years, knowing that my daughter was not a born-again child of God. It was a disturbing fact. And we prayed, and we recruited preachers, and we began to pray for and say, God, at some point you need to break her heart, help her to understand her condition. Now, here's a problem in a Christian environment. Your child may have grown up, adjusted, become accustomed to living a Christian life, but inside they're hollow, they're empty, they're unsaved. They're not even enjoying their present circumstances. Now, here's what you need to do. That's called salvation, the need for salvation, the need of salvation. And here's what she did. In her speech, in her words, in her conversation, she used the term, look what it says in chapter 2, verse 1. Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. Now, here's what you ought to do as a mother. You shouldn't just pray for the salvation of that child, but salvation should constantly be on your lips. And from a very young age, you should be teaching that child his condition is a lost sinner. Now, here's what most kids don't understand for a while. They don't understand their sinners. If you talk to a three or four-year-old and say, are you bad? They're going to look at you cross-eyed and say, no, I'm good. They're convinced they're good. And they'll throw themselves on the floor and throw a fit and cause all kinds of problems and be angry if they don't get their way, but they live convinced that they're good kids. They need to understand they have a sinful nature and that sinful nature separates them from God, and it comes with a payment. That payment is death and hell. Now you say, at what point should I start explaining to them salvation? You should explain that to them before they can ever read or write. You need to have daily prayer with them. You need to have daily devotions with them. You need to be talking about the death and the, the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lay the foundation, lay the groundwork long before they can ever understand or comprehend salvation. At least lay the foundation. And you begin to instruct them in the fact that there's only one way to heaven. There's only one hope of eternal life. And that is through Jesus Christ. And you explain to them, we go to church, but that won't save you. And did you see that person get baptized on Sunday? But that will not save you. And going to a Christian school and living in a Christian environment, none of that will save you. And my faith won't save you. My profession of faith isn't passed down through DNA. Just because I'm a Christian and this is a Christian home doesn't mean you were born a Christian. You need to get born again. You need to explain to them 
conviction in salvation because without conviction, there is no salvation. And you need to measure their conviction. You need to watch them when they're in church. You need to watch them when you witness to them. And you ought to see some level of conviction on their face where they understand the gospel and explain to them at some point you will have to repent of your sins. When you get down at night to pray with them, you need to say, you know what? At some point in your life, you need to come to that place where you repent of your sins and you ask Christ to save you. And just like we're kneeling down right now and we're praying, you can kneel down and pray. Not something you do repeatedly, but something you do once in your life where you kneel down before God, you confess your sin, you ask for salvation. You ask for him to come into your heart, save you, and forgive you. And the Holy Spirit will move in and a change will take place. Now, if you don't explain that, don't expect that child to magically get saved when he or she is 12 or 13 or 14 or 15. Now, if they get saved, it's, I, I think... It, it would be highly important to every mother to say, before my child is 9 or 10 years old, listen, if they grow up in a Christian home, surely at 7, 8, 9, they can understand salvation is that simple. The Bible is that clear. And if you put them in an environment, where, whether it's clubs or Sunday school or junior church, and let me just say this, you better have that child in an environment where he's constantly, repeatedly hearing uh, about salvation, about his soul, about his need to repent and receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. Amen. That alone would motivate me to be faithful to church. Amen. Most parents, regrettably, don't even understand God's placed an eternal soul in their hands. What a tremendous responsibility. Now, I can make a lot of mistakes in life and correct them. I've bought some cars that I shouldn't have bought you know what, I, I quickly sold them or left them on the side of the highway and let someone else take them to the junkyard. But I got rid of them and I corrected the mistake. But when it comes to your soul, when it comes to the soul of my children, I can't afford to make that mistake. I need to know without a doubt that my three children have the Holy Spirit of God residing in them. And although Ashley made a profession of faith as a child, it became very obvious very quickly that the Holy Spirit was not living in her life. He was not guiding her, convicting her, helping her, instructing her. So everything in the Christian life was forced. You know what? Be careful because you may catch yourself in that same place down the road where you say, there's a problem in the life of my child. There may have been a profession of faith early in life, but I know the Holy Spirit does not reside in them and we want to make sure that's taken care of. How many of you want to get to heaven and come to the awful realization that your child is not there? You don't want to be in that spot. Especially not when salvation is so simple. Now listen, you go through verses and take them through the scripture because the scripture is so clear, so plain. Take them from Genesis to Revelation and teach them, help them memorize verses like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 when they're young. So when they're 6 and 7, they can say, for by grace are ye saved. So they understand this is God's grace. It's a gift and explain to them what a gift is. You know what? Do you have to work for your Christmas gift? 
No, that's undeserved. Good thing Santa Claus doesn't exist because you would be on the naughty list. (laughs) That's called mercy and grace. And you know what salvation is? It's by grace, not of works. Listen, explain to them salvation is not of works because if it depended upon your works, all of us would be hopeless. We live a good life because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and we want the world to know that we're saved, but our salvation is not by works. And here's what Hannah did and here's what every mother ought to do. You pray, but prayer alone isn't sufficient if you're quiet, if you're silent, if you don't have that child in the right environment, if he's not hearing the word of God and understanding what salvation is, you will have a problem because you'll have a 12 or a 13 or a 16 or an 18-year-old that's not even born again. Now I want you to see chapter 2, something else. It ought to be your desire, not just that they get born again, not just that they get saved, trust Christ as their personal Savior, but number two, you ought to pray and desire that they have a personal walk with God. Look what it says in verse 12. Now the sons of Eli, who was Eli? He was the priest. He was the high priest. He was the man of God. Now, who was in charge of the temple and the temple sacrifices? It was Eli. So if anybody had children that should have had a great relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it should have been the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. But here's what the Bible says about those two boys. Now, the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. I preached on the sons of Belial several years ago. I won't re-preach that message, but I do want you to understand what a son of Belial was. That was a connotation of someone that had the characteristics of Belial, a reference to Satan. So someone that was rebellious to authority, deceitful, proud, haughty, lying, those were the characteristics that were found in these two boys. Now think about this. How awful would it be to raise your children in the house of God and have them turn out to be sons of Belial, hard-hearted, unaffected by the preaching, unconcerned about the things of God. And here's what we've done. If you travel across this nation and you visit our churches, I'm not just talking about uh, churches in general. I'm talking about independent Baptist, Bible-preaching, Bible-believing churches where Christians are rearing 18 years in the house of God and the end product is a son of Belial. Let me just say, simply because you go to church doesn't guarantee that you won't raise a son of Belial. I think too often we simply think, well, because I have five children or eight children or two children or three children, just because I have one that is godly, surely all of them are going to end up as godly servants of the Almighty. That's not the truth. There's a problem there. The Bible tells us that Eli in the temple, here were these boys from the very time that they were two and three years old. They watched their daddy do the sacrifices. He had explained to them personally everything from the priestly garments to the ephod to the sacrifices, the differences in the sacrifices, the time of the sacrifices, the praises and the worship. These boys knew every ritual of the temple and yet 20 years later, Here's how God refers to them as sons 
of Satan. Sons of Belial. What a sad connotation. How awful would that be to rear one of my children 18 or 20 years in the house of God and then have them referred to as sons of Belial? Now, why were they referred to in that context? Look what the last phrase says. They knew not the Lord. And if your primary concern is not the salvation of their souls, and once they're saved, here's what I want them to know. I don't want them just to know the hymns because many of our children can sing all five verses of every song in the great hymns of the faith without ever even opening up their hymn book. They know them by memory. Their minds are like a GPS. They could close their eyes and guide you to the church. They can lead songs in the Sunday school. They can babysit in the nursery. They got 87 badges when they were in Bible clubs. They have more trophies in their drawer than Michael Phelps has from the Olympics. They've won more competitions from verses to Bible quiz team to races. They've done it all. They know it all. Most of them can play an instrument. They've gone to bell competition. They've participated in choir. They can hit an E-flat without even the need of hearing the piano. Why is it they still have the potential to be a son of Belial? Because we taught them to know everything and everyone except God. How can that happen? Because we're not actively concerned about their walk with God. You should be checking on their Bible reading. You should ask them, what did you read today? What did you get out of the Bible? What was the verse that God put on your heart and mind? Have you read your Bible? Listen, I want my, my kids reading their Bible through from Genesis all the way to Revelation. You say, preacher, they're probably not going to understand. Oh, absolutely. There's no way in the world they can understand. But they can start to listen to God and establish a relationship and a love for the Word of God. They begin to cherish the Word of God and get to know God. And listen, if we just took a look and examined their personal walk with God on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, it's non-existent. The only time they open up this book is when they're in chapel or church. But there's no personal conversation. It's like a husband and wife that live under the same roof and never speak to each other. And here's a young child brought up in the house of God because he's never taught to pray. You ought to pray with your children. You ought to hear them pray. See if they even know how to pray and maintain some kind of communication with God. You ought to ask them. When's the last time God spoke to you through your Bible reading? Now listen, this could have very well happened in the life of Samuel too because look what the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 3. I want you to see the direction he could have headed. He was ministering and serving. Excuse me, go back to chapter 2, verse 11. Elkanah went to Ramah to his house. The child, what was he doing? He was ministering unto the Lord and I believe children ought to know how to minister in the house of God. Look what it says in verse 18. Samuel ministered before the Lord. What's, what's highlighted in this verse? What's the next phrase say? He was a child ministering in the house of God. Now, here's what I want you to see in verse, chapter 3, verse 1. The child Samuel 
ministered unto the Lord. So repeatedly, he's, he has his little linen ephod that his mom had made it. He's helping in the temple. He's following around Eli the high priest. He's developing a heart for God. He's, he's getting to know all the rituals, all the sacrifices, all the obligations of the high priest. And look what it says in chapter 3, verse 7. Now Samuel did not, what? Yet know the Lord. Wait a minute. He too could have headed down the exact same path as the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, because although he was working, although he was busy, although he was around the man of God, although he was in the right environment, the Bible says even he in this circumstance did not what? Yet. Now the key word is yet. Because we're going to see there's something that took place in him where he started growing in knowledge. And you say, some of you look at your children, five, six, seven, eight. And you say, I've got him in the right environment. I've, I haven't been to the Christian school and we're having family devotions. And I have him reading his Bible. The only problem is he does not, I guarantee the average five, six, seven, eight-year-old does not yet know the Lord. The key word better be Yet. That means he ought to be headed that direction. You know the direction he's headed. Now, we do have, uh, I could tell you, two of our uh, six and seven-year-olds that actually do know the Lord at that age, amazingly. But it's a rare exception. Now, here's what's sad. Not that a six or seven-year-old might not have a personal walk with God. They're establishing that. But that a nine or 10 or 12 or 13-year-old doesn't have a personal walk with God. Now, when you're saying yet, when they're that age, you may be headed towards rearing a son of Belial. If he's 15 or 17 or 18 and does not yet know the Lord, and I'd have to say that about some of the young people in our church at 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, they do not yet know the Lord most likely what you have reared is a son of Belial. You say, boy, that child is proud. Boy, that child resists authority. Boy, that child is deceitful. Those are characteristics of a son of Belial. But pastor, I can't believe, at 12 years in the Christian school, yes, Hophni and Phinehas were 35 years in the temple. They slept there. They ate there. They worked there. They were actually in the ministry and were sons of Belial. If you go to Mexico, you'll see around holidays, especially Cinco de Mayo, those kind of days, kids, two and three-year-olds walking around with chicken feed in their mouth. You know, I've never seen American kids doing that. And I would go over to the house and we'd go to celebrations and they would offer us chicken feet. And I'd say, let me think about that. No. <laughs> I know where that chicken's been. I don't want to put that thing in my mouth. And one day we had a competition and I told the church, listen, if this happens, I'll eat a chicken foot. And that Sunday it happened. The place was packed and they did what I had asked them to do. And we had at least 10 ladies had prepared chicken feet for their pastor just to be a blessing. <laughs> and the place erupted when I stuck those chicken feet in my mouth. 
Now, you know why this preacher doesn't want to eat a chicken foot? Because I wasn't eating chicken feet when I was six months or 12 months or 18 months. So there's no desire there. But you stick a chicken foot in the mouth of a six-month-old, guess what? The rest of his life, he'll want to suck on a chicken foot. Telling you the truth. Seen hundreds of kids do it. I've seen five-year-olds do it and 10-year-olds and 18-year-olds. You know why you don't do it? Because you didn't do it when you were six months old or a year old or 18 months old. You never developed that desire. You say, I would never do that. You would do it if you had a developed taste. And you go all over this world, you'll see each nationality eats a different style of food, and they enjoy it, and you don't. You know why they enjoyed it? Because when they were young, they developed a taste for that style and that kind of food. I've never wanted to put a scorpion on a stick in my mouth. But there are people that do that. You know what? If you don't develop those tastes for God and for the Word of God and for a walk with God when they're five, six, seven, and eight... How in the world do you think that'll ever exist when they're 18, 19, or 20? And here's what Hannah did, and here's what Eli did uh, for this young boy, Samuel. They got him in the Word of God. He began to acquire a taste for the Word of God, and look at the result in 1 Samuel 3, 19. Samuel grew, the Lord was with him, and he did let none of his words fall to the ground. You know what you want in your children? You want to see them in church hungry, and that's why you ought to get with their Sunday school workers, and that's why you ought to get with the junior church workers and find out if they're a sponge. Find out how they're receiving the word. Watch them when they sit in church. Watch them how they react. Watch them in chapel and say, is there a desire there for God? Watch them when you talk to them about prayer. And one day when that child is 18, 19, 20, one day when that child is giving you grief, you're going to be confused because you're going to say, I had him in the right environment, and yet I know you will identify. The first ones that will identify that, that that child is a son of Belial are those that are around him because all of us as parents are a little willfully ignorant of our own children and their spiritual condition. But others will begin to see it and identify it. And you will at first be offended. But at some point, you'll have to admit, you'll have to recognize, you know what I did? I reared a son of Belial in a church environment. Now, how does that happen? Because they don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say number three and we'll be done. You ought to greatly desire not just for that child to be saved, not just for that child to personally know God, but you ought to desire and beg God for that child to be used of God. Now I want you to think about this. We wouldn't even know of Hannah if it weren't for her child and what happened here. But she begged God, and one of the greatest prophets in the history of Israel was Samuel. And she said... I want to rear a child that's dedicated to the work of God. And this is why, listen, I love chapter 2 where it says that she made him, uh, verse 18, a linen ephod, because that's not what ephods were made out of. But she said in this case, well, can, can you imagine this little three-year-old, four-year-old walking around the temple, just like the priest had? How many of you ever seen the priestly garb, the colors? She made him a little linen ephod for him to walk around behind Eli. And he would help clean up the sacrifices and keep the temple clean and bring in the wood. Can you see this little four-year-old with wood in his arms, stumbling and bumbling and falling and picking up the logs? 
and cleaning up the sacrifices and walking around him. Can you imagine how, how often the priest had to clean this thing for him, this little boy? I, I guarantee you she had to make one every year because within a couple months, maybe even within a couple days, it was already stained. And he, big old smile, said, what can I do for you today, Mr. Eli? Here's how she got in to be used of God. She established, and if you see in chapter 3, look, look what it said in chapter 3, because she established at a young age a great relationship between the man of God and her son. The child Samuel ministered unto the Lord. What's it saying? Before Eli. And if that child doesn't have a great relationship with the man of God, he'll never be used of God. Not a chance. No chance at all. I, parents, I need you to look at me. I need you to understand this. If that child does not have a great relationship with the man of God that's in his life, there's no chance he'll ever be used of God. Look what it says. When the child was laid down, ere the lamp, verse 3, ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, Samuel was laid down to sleep, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered and said, Here am I. Now Samuel doesn't recognize that this is the voice of God. And what does he do? What is his response? He thinks it's the voice of Eli. Now think about this for a minute. Eli sleeping at another, in a different part of the temple grounds, and he, Samuel hears a voice. He thinks it's coming from Eli's room where he's sleeping. This is at 1 or 2 o'clock, maybe 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. How would your child respond? The same way they respond to you when you try to pull them up and out of bed to go to school. They would hit the snooze. Um, um, give me a few more minutes. What does he do? Does he hit the snooze? Does he say, I'll wait till he drags me out of bed? How does he respond? He gets up, he runs unto Eli and says, Here am I, for thou callest me. Is it any wonder, is it any surprise that this young man was used of God? If you don't teach him a respect and a love for the Word of God, a love and respect for the man of God, you will not rear someone dedicated to the work of God. And here's what I want. Now, every parent is different. I don't want Ashley to live a normal life and say, you know what? I think I'm going to go work at a bank. There's nothing wrong with working at a bank. I want her to say, if God puts me at a bank or God uses me, in the medical industry of God, I want to make sure that's used of God, for God, for the work of God. And if God uses me as a nurse, I want it to be used as a nurse on the foreign field. And I want it, whatever I have, I want it to be used for God's work. I don't want my child to live 60 or 70 years on this planet for themselves. So one day she can wake up and say when she's 60, looky there, we made our last house payment. We own our car. Now we get to retire and sit around and watch movies all day. It's been a good life. I'll say you wasted your life. You had one chance and you wasted it. Are you winning souls? Are you helping people? Are you investing in the lives of others? Have you had a great relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me ask you this. One day, each one of us as parents, we're going to look back. And that little baby, that little child is now 25, 30, 35. 
And if that child is living for God and, and bringing us great pleasure, we're going to say, thank God that I followed the word of God. And if that child is going his own way, living a life of rebellion, and now paying the consequence, here's what you're going to do. Every day is going to be a grief, a concern. You're going to just wait for the phone call to hear bad news. You're going to go to bed at night, and it's going to take you 45 minutes, an hour, some nights two or three hours just to go to sleep because you know in the end, in a Christian environment, you raised a son of Belial. And here's what we need to do as parents. We need to understand we've got one chance. With each child, most likely we have 18 years, maybe 19, maybe 20. And each child is individually unique with individual needs. And if we're not paying attention, if we're not making the right investment, if we're not teaching that child, not just salvation, but a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what you see in chapter 3, verse 10. We'll say this and we'll be done. Look what it says. When the Lord spoke, verse 10, the Lord came, stood, called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. Okay. This right here is the pinnacle of being a successful parent. When your child listens to the Holy Spirit, listens to the voice of God and says, speak, Lord. When your child sits in a service and the Holy Spirit moves and your child says, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Wow, I can breathe a sigh of relief and say, thank God. Thank God. When I know that Ashley is listening to the voice of God, listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and saying, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today, but more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.